After the sermon, we will have a word of prayer, asking the Lord to bless it by His Holy Spirit. And then we will sing again from Psalm 91, Psalter 249, stanza 1, 2, 1, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And I think we will do that to the tune of 325. It's just really a nice rendition of the, that song. Dear congregation, belonging to Christ, preaching this evening on Psalm 91 is surely relevant. And why, why say that? Well, because this psalm speaks to life in a world full of dangers and fears from all sides. How many people live with fears? What kind of fears? Well, spiritual fears, health fears, work fears, school fears, family fears, financial fears, church fears, political fears, world fears, and you name it. I had to smile when I was preparing this sermon. I came across a statement where someone said in connection with health fears, quote, some people take so many vitamin pills, they rattle when they walk. Now, that's not meant to say you should never take a vitamin, but it, it's a reflection of the fears that people have today in some cases. Living in our perilous times today, you too, in one way or another, may, may in different degrees and in various ways have fears. Well, Psalm 91, dear congregation, gives us God's answers to the fears of mankind. And it's so good, so reliable, what it has to tell us. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that the universal emergency number in North America is 911. There's no record that that was chosen at all in view of Psalm 91. But how very significant the comfort in all our fears has told us in Psalm 91, 1. Which some have also called, especially since September 11, 2001, the Bible's 9-11 verse. What does it say? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. People have memorized this song, I know, in Calgary, and repeated often at night, before going to bed or in the morning when getting up and facing a new day. It's a psalm that's declaring to us how we are always safe and secure in and with the Lord as our refuge. Yes, come what may. Dial up this psalm, speaking reverently before God in your fears and troubles, and divinely supreme emergency help is given us time and time again without fail. We are not given the human author of this psalm, nor its historical context. Many have said, most likely it's Moses who also wrote the psalm before, Psalm 90. And the defense for this is, especially the, the many phrases in this psalm as found also in the book of Moses, Deuteronomy. And some of the imagery in this psalm, as with Psalm 90, reflects the dangers of journeying through a wilderness, living here in this fallen world. But we have to say, not given specifically who the human author was, we should not think we can know for certain. And we should realize too, the Holy Spirit, with the writing of this psalm, determined that that's not important either. As one commentator wisely put it, with this psalm being, in fact, quote, anonymous and timeless, perhaps it's all the more accessible for that and useful for that. The aim now of preaching this on this psalm is that all God's people here, seeing and hearing God's precious gospel word, may be so encouraged and comforted and gladdened in and with the Lord as your trust and refuge in all the struggles of life. At the same time, in preaching on this magnificent portion of God's Word, which John Calvin called the finest of psalms, 
The aim is that whoever here is yet unsaved becomes converted even today, even this hour, fleeing, yes, without further hesitation to this one only true helper and only hiding place in our emergency fallen world, fast headed to destruction, sooner or later left to itself. C.H. Spurgeon says about Psalm 91, in the whole collection of psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm. Its tone is elevated throughout, and faith is at its best here, and it speaks oh so nobly. He, here is heavenly medicine, he writes, against all plague and pest, and he who lives in its spirit will be fearless, even in the most fearful of times. So let's go now to the psalm. If you have your Bibles open, that's good. Considering it under the theme, as mentioned in the bulletin, always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Your refuge and mine. Observe with me how in this one psalm, this is gospel truth that is, one, declared beautifully, illustrated bountifully, secondly, and thirdly, confirmed beyond measure. To see what a refuge and safe hiding place we have in and with the Lord, in reference to all our fears, and that it's something really declared beautifully in this psalm. Just notice the following details of the psalm with me. The psalm is divided clearly into three main parts. With the first part, the verses 1 to 2, where we see the psalmist testifying, testifying what? Of taking refuge with the Lord. And then in the second part, verses 3 to 13, we see either the same psalmist or another believer alongside of him proclaiming, yes, the boundless deliverances found in and with the Lord. And then in the third part, verses 14 to 16, we see God himself become the speaker, giving most final and, and precious assurances of all that this psalm is declaring to us. So, looking now at the first section, who will not agree? These verses declare beautifully how safe and secure we always are in and with the Lord as our refuge. And to see this, look, for example, just at the four names for God given in the first two verses. He's called the Most High. You see that in verse 1? And then again in verse 9 and other places in the Bible as well. And this name for God, Most High, it emphasizes He is far and supreme over any threat or danger in our lives. The Most High, He's at the very top of all things, so to speak, and of everything and everyone. And, and nothing and no one is outside of His control and his sovereign direction and care and keeping. He's the most high. Doesn't this explain what is sometimes said as a wise saying in the challenges of life here and now? That saying, I mean, you've maybe heard it before. When you look around you, you get perplexed. When you look within, you get depressed. But when you look up, you get blessed. When you look to the most high, you get blessed. Why? Well, as someone said about God being most high, quote, most high for God is a title that cuts every threat down to size for us. Most high for God is a title that cuts every threat down to size for us. Oh, yes, indeed. God is most high. And what can't the most high God handle? And turn around for our good, even when trusting and following Him. And should you doubt this, consider with me the second of the four names for God in this text. Not only is He the Most High God, but He's God All-Powerful. What does the text say? He is the Almighty, the Omnipotent One. So again, Psalm 91 opens with verse 1, beautifully declaring what? He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of what? Of the Almighty. 
And that second title of congregation means trusting in the Lord. Always what is impossible with us is yet possible with Him. Nothing is too hard for Him. Especially in reference to our spiritual needs. But yes, as we saw this morning, also in reference to our every need. The Lord's hand is not shortened to perform wondrous things and even to cause the greatest dangers and threats in our lives somehow to turn out yet for our good and for our profit. When I was making this sermon, I, I was given an illustration of it by a colleague who told me he went to a ministerial where he lives and the ministers were sharing their life story a bit and one minister said he was not raised in a Christian home. In fact, he was raised in a home where there was a lot of strife. Mom and dad didn't get along and even to the point that when he was a young boy, around 10, his mom and dad split up. They divorced and it shattered that boy. It shattered him. By the way, don't let anyone ever tell you that divorce of parents doesn't hurt children. It does. It really does. And this boy was shattered. But God, in his providence, somehow, through the deep trials, he, he brought him under the gospel. And I don't know the details of that, but he, he came to, to look to God, to cry to him in his needs, and to learn about his greatest need, also as a sinner who needed to be saved from his sins. And he, he became saved. He wasn't raised in a Christian home. But through what happened, God worked and he became saved. This is a true story. Not only did he become saved, he eventually became a pastor. And the story gets better yet. His mom and dad, his dad went to hear his son preach. And God converted him. He became saved. And a while later, his mom went to hear him preach. She got converted. You say, no, it's a true story. And then they said to each other, they never married anybody else. We're divorced. And divorce is wrong. We need to get back together. And they got back together. It's a true story. You say, yeah, but pastor, that's so exceptional. Uh, you know, the older I get, everyone's story is exceptional. Exceptional regarding God's amazing grace in our lives and His almighty power in saving sinners like us. So is our God. He's almighty. Don't doubt Him. He's almighty. What did the Lord Jesus say in Matthew 28, 18 when He rose from the dead as triumphant Savior of sinners? All power, and you could translate, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 29, about what is the exceeding greatness of His power, God's power toward us who believe according to the working of His, God's mighty power, which He wrought or worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Yes, in His salvation work, climaxing in His triumphant exaltation in heavenly places at God's right hand. Blessed is he who trusts in him. Psalm 91 testifies of trusting in God most high and God almighty and how safe and secure we are, dear congregation, always in his hands, under his care and his keeping. And should you question this still, consider then the third name for God given in the first two verses. What's the third name? As mentioned in verse 2, it's the name Lord, in capital letters, referring, referring to Jehovah God and telling us that He is the ever self-existent God who never changes as faithful, covenant-keeping God and can always be relied on. He doesn't weaken over time and He never changes any time. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. The Lord He's the Lord, that means He is the I am, that I am God, ever true to all His word and promises. And He's not different than His word ever tells us of Him. And if we are wise, congregation, we always prove His word in application and supplication to Him in our every need. As the text puts it, the believing psalmist testifies, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my 
fortress. Is this what you and I testify to? Shouldn't it be the case for us? We're raised in the covenant community of God. And God said even in our baptism, this is the God I will be for you. Look to me. Trust me. In every way, in all your needs, in all your fears. What reasons to do so? Considering also the fourth title for, for the Lord being what? The name, very simply, God. My God, in him will I trust, says the psalmist in verse 2. And the word God here refers not to idol gods of man's making, but to Elohim, the one only true eternal triune God. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And he made everything good and perfect. But then came the fall by our wicked rebellion. And now, since this fallen, rebellion, sinful world has fallen and rejected God, it's full of idol gods. We see it all around us, false gods of our own making. But our text is telling us the Lord God, he remains the one only true God. He is God for real. He is the God who created us and who provides for us and who alone can save us from all our sin and evil. Look unto me and be ye saved. We read in Isaiah 45, 22. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And Paul testifies of the same in, in Philippians 4 saying, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father, he says, be glory forever and ever. Oh, put these four names all together. And will anyone among us not say in spirit and truth, either for a first time or else in ongoing faith, my God in him will I trust. To see and hear more how always safe and secure we are in and with the Lord as you're my refuge. Notice yet too how the psalmist speaks of finding refuge and fortress with God. And verse 4 telling of God being as our shield and our buckler. And we can't go into it now but all these are terms I think you understand which speak of just such safekeeping and such supply and protection for us whenever trusting and relying on the God of Psalm 91. John Calvin writes very beautifully, there is no kind of calamity which the shield of the Almighty cannot ward off and repel. We are in a place of absolute safety, he says, in and with the Lord as our help. We can't miss either what we see in this psalm how close this one true God will care for us, how closely and how nearby to us he will be. I mean, the psalm speaks of dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty, which means to be so near to him and him so near to us. I think the children know to walk in someone's shadow, a person needs to be right by us and we by him or her. And you see, so is the Lord right by his people. As many as take refuge with him in true repentance and faith, he's by us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Come down here to be the Savior God for sinners like us. Verse 4 declares most touchingly too, finding escape from fear and danger with him, oh, the Lord shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall trust. And find refuge. What a beautiful picture. You can, you can picture it, right? And, but this picture is likely not only one that reflects a, a parent bird in its loving care and, and watchful protection for baby birds, but even more, it may be a reference to the wings of the cherubim overshadowing the mercy seat with the ark, you know, in the Holy of Holies. I think maybe children know too, the, the ark in the Holy of Holies, it had two angels and the, their wings were touching over the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the place where the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on. And so our text is referring all, pointing to this all. 
Dwelling in the secret place of the Lord means finding our refuge and, and sure help with God our Savior through ultimately His promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, and His finished work on sinners' behalf. Yes, with His shed blood on the mercy seat. This psalm ultimately points to Him, and I'll prove that by the time we finish our sermon. And are you drawn into this, seeing what a safety we have with this God, trusting Him? In another psalm, Psalm 57, David also says very beautifully, he prays similarly to what we have in Psalm 91. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusts in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings I will make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed or passed by. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Oh, that we all, and I'm speaking to myself too, we would so trust and wait upon the Lord in all our fears and struggles. For always, as Psalm 91 makes so very clear how safe and secure we are in and with the Lord as our refuge. Notice with me further how this is not only declared beautifully in Psalm 91, but it is illustrated bountifully too. Don't we see and hear that in the verses 3 to 13? After the declaration of a certain unnamed believer in the verses 1 to 2, it looks like either the psalmist himself speaking to himself or another believer with him responds to the first believer saying, Oh yes, God will be there for you, whatever danger and fear you may have. And then he gives a whole list and range of dangers we meet within life that God provides deliverance in and through, regardless how threatening they may appear to us. When you read through the verses 3 to 13, it's true, isn't it? But one commentator wrote, most of the terrors mentioned in this psalm are left more or less undefined, and no doubt intentionally so, that for us no kind of danger is omitted from application. As this person wrote, believers in every age can read this psalm to learn that nothing can harm a child of God unless the Lord permits it. That being said, it's profitable to note together the following observations from the whole range of dangers listed in verses 3 to 13 that God takes care to deliver his people from. Notice, his deliverance and protection is 24-7 coverage. How great is that? 24-7 coverage whether the danger be in the daytime or at nighttime. Children, when it's dark at nighttime, we can easily get scared, can't we? We just had recently the time change. It's dark now when we get out of church. But we don't have to be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day. No, not with God is our refuge, and we look to Him. And whether the threat be as pestilence, or plague that walks in darkness, or as destruction that lays waste at noonday. We are safe and secure when looking to the Lord, our God, the Most High. Also, whether the danger or be, be a subtle attack like that of a fowler, a bird catcher, or a trapper, one that traps animals, out to ensnare us, or be open Relentless attacks sweeping upon us. God Most High remains the safe refuge and fortress, our shield and buckler in all our needs. That is true too, whether the attacks may be on our body with disease or plague or against our soul with satanic attacks against us looking to destroy us. Here let's not forget how the devil used this psalm and its promise of the angel's care over his people, he used it wrongly to tempt Jesus to fall into sin before God and mankind. Someone has observed the reference in verse 13 to lion and adder, which means a venomous snake, or dragon, which is a fierce serpent and beast, as threats against us in life 
uh, they may all be in some way images of, of Satan and his ways because the devil is so described in other passages in the Bible. But congregation, whether, whether the devil comes against us as a roaring lion or as a poisonous snake or as a fierce dragon, he can and will be overcome by us with God is as our refuge and our trust and hiding place. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, we read in James 4, verse 7 and 8. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Yes, regardless of the dangers and threats, also if seen coming long before, or just totally unexpected troubles that comes our way often, whether the perils be from those around us too, or from the ruling authorities of the day, in our own country or even from other countries. Yet people need not be afraid when God is our refuge and strength and our very present help in trouble. True of ourselves, oh, let's admit that, and doesn't every true child of God truly admit this, of ourselves, the strongest among us are as helpless and most weak as anyone else. But as Paul jubilantly says in Romans 8.31, if God be for us, and with us and in us through Christ Jesus. Who then can be against us? And doesn't Psalm 91 bountifully illustrate this also, not only in speaking of God protecting his people from danger, but also helping them in danger. And here too we come to the verses 11 to 12, telling us what? Well, about God sending his angels to guard us and to keep us and to carry us away even in and through and from all destructive forces and attacks and events in our lives. God sends these unseen heavenly agents to protect and defend his people who seek refuge with him. And how, how right what one commentator said. Let us take note. The Lord doesn't send only one guardian angel for each of his people, as some say. No, but all the angels are here alluded to. John Calvin writes in his commentary, Christ obtained also the ministry of angels for us through his finished work on sinner's behalf. And then he says, God does not assign one solitary angel to each saint, but he, he sends the whole armies of heaven for every individual believer. How great that is. How truly great. The angels are God's bodyguard. For his people. And notice what the text says in verse 11. He's, he's there. Those angels are sent to keep us. In what? In all our ways. It doesn't say just some of our ways. All our ways. How great is that? In Hebrews 1 we are told too. That the angels are ministering spirits for his people. As heirs of salvation. Little do we know. I think you'll agree with me. Little do we know or understand of the angelic hosts sent out by God for our protection and defense. But to know it is for certain, even whether we understand it or not, is yet a great comfort, surely. As one well said, perhaps we shall one day stand amazed at the multiplied services which the unseen heavenly hosts have rendered to us, sent forth by God most high for our well-being in soul and body, when our trust is in God. And can you imagine what the scriptures further teach us? That in heaven, God's people may have the heavenly hosts as servants to serve us, as commissioned by the Lord Jesus. That's just astounding and beyond our comprehension and surely nothing we ever deserve of ourselves. It is important to say here, we need to learn from Jesus when tempted by the devil, as I mentioned to you, to go his own way and yet to trust God would send his angels to protect him. That's what the devil tempted him. That we may not so interpret this song. And thank God Jesus didn't fall for that sly, wicked temptation of the devil. And he would not sinfully test angelic power as the devil proposed. And we should not think that we can live sinfully and in disobedience and think, well, God will take care of me. No, no. That's playing games with God. And that's sinning. 
But Jesus, he, he thank God, he remained faithful. And the result also was, as we read in Matthew 4, 11, did you know that? God sent angels to minister to Jesus in his bodily needs after 40 days of severe testing and trial from Satan in the wilderness. And so it is with all God's people as taught in Psalm 91. Oh, when you and I as confessing Christians seek and serve the Lord in spirit and truth, this is the great gospel comfort that God withholds nothing and pulls out all the stops, as it were, to guide and keep us, regardless of the dangers and the distresses from around us or from within us. So we read triumphantly the believing testimony of the psalmist. He says in verse 9, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. And no, this doesn't mean that we never come to harm and accident and trouble and grief. We see it all the time, even this past week in this church family. But no ultimate evil, not when the Lord is your refuge and trust. Not with the Lord. There's no ultimate evil. And he turns whatever looks like evil to somehow be for our good by his almighty hand in the long run. And even then, in verse 13, it is made clear, trusting and following this Lord, we are not only made survivors from all evil, but we are also made victors over sin and evil, as pictured in trampling underfoot one day our deadly foes. So putting it all together, and we're just skimming the psalm really, but putting it all together, you agree how unmistakably and bountifully the psalm illustrates in verse 3 to 13 our sermon theme on the whole of Psalm 91. Always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Almost you would think the Apostle Paul must have had the psalm open when he wrote Romans 8, especially the last part, you know, where he speaks about, about how if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he says, who can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? And he mentions all kinds of things that could, but he says, no way. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, yes, dear people of God, this may be all true Christian's persuasion and comfort and confidence. And if you maybe still struggle with doubts and lack of assurance about this, and who of us doesn't? Well then, the last part of the psalm should clinch it for us in a most wonderful way. So far with our sermon theme on Psalm 91, being always safe and secure with the Lord, as you're my refuge, we've seen in this most cheering psalm, this is gospel truth declared beautifully and illustrated bountifully. And lastly now, consider yet our third observation, this is gospel truth confirmed beyond measure. And here we come to the last section of the psalm, the verses 14 to 16. And as I mentioned, in this section, another speaker testifies in the psalm about the sure safety and refuge found for us in and with the Lord as our hope and refuge. One preacher, one preacher explained it this way. In this section, it's like a minister expounding the rich message given in the psalm. But then another minister in the audience, he stands up and he says, respectfully, move over to your brother and let me add now to what you've all said, indeed, to confirm it beyond measure. But here, congregation, what is most moving, and I only really discovered this for myself in the study of this psalm, and I, I should have known it before, surely, but what is most moving to realize is that really, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this third speaker in this psalm is not simply another minister, but he's none other than God himself taking over. And yes, we may even say he is none other than God in Christ Jesus, the pre-incarnate Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah speaking here. We know God would send his son, don't we, into this fallen and rebellious and cursed world. That was a promise from the beginning, the day of the fall. And Jesus Christ, what would he do when he would come? Well, he as Savior of sinners he would suffer all the dangers and distresses in this fallen world on sinners' behalf. Yes, and he would face the relentless attacks of Satan, the devil, to the max. 
And he would bear as a just for the unjust the righteous fury of God's wrath against sin and pay the full punishment for all his people's sin, suffering no less than the equivalent agonies of eternal hell in soul and body as substitute for sinners like us. And he would do this all to once for all and forevermore be his people's perfect, complete Savior and Deliverer and Defender. Psalm 91 is expressed in the Psalter this way, this part. Because he has set his love, I will his constant Savior prove. And since to him my name is known, I will exalt him as mine own. Yes, this psalm points to Christ. And through him he's our refuge, strong and sure, in soul and body, in life and death, for now and forever. Come what may, regardless of the fears we have. And in that light, listen to the, then to the divine speaker, our Savior God himself, as he reverently speaking now, comes on stage. In this psalm, what does he say? Notice, praise God. He doesn't contradict anything said so far in this psalm, but he only most graciously and gloriously and grandly affirms it and confirms it, underscores it beyond measure. He testifies in verse 14, because he, that is the believing psalmist and all true believers, because he has said his love upon me, Yes, and because he has known my name and calls out to me, of this all he may be sure, and of this all God's repentant, believing people may be sure. And then, and then we are given eight, eight I wills from God towards his people. Eight I wills. Six stated emphatically, and two I wills implied. What are they? Well, listen. Look at the text. The Lord says, trusting him and depending on him, this all you can know and be assured of without a doubt. I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him when he calls upon me. And I will be with him in trouble. And I will deliver him. And I will imply honor him. I will satisfy him with long, meaning full and fulfilling life. And I will imply show him my salvation. Wow. What more could anyone ever want or need, beloved, than such splendid confirmation from God himself of his wondrous care and keeping for all who trust and follow him? Just to highlight two of the eight points here. Spurgeon says, you know, if we climb on high, and children will know this, if we climb on high, it may be dangerous. But if God sets us up there on high, even with him the most high, Oh, that's glorious indeed. And when God says in the very last phrase too, that I will show him my salvation, the word salvation is the same root word for Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. And in the New Testament terms, that name is literally Jesus. It refers to Jesus, the Savior. Joseph and Mary, you know, we're going to be thinking about this in the coming weeks as we have come to Advent. They were to call the baby Miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary's womb. Jesus, why? For he shall save his people from their sins. I will show him my salvation, God says at the end of the psalm, meaning no less back then and for us still today, he will show us Jesus Christ in all his fullness and glory and beauty and sufficiency in his perfect, priceless person and work as Savior of sinners the sin-atoning Savior, the Satan-defeating Savior, the sinner-saving Savior, the God-pleasing Savior with his once-for-all life sacrifice even to his death on the cross. In and through him and faith in him, there is plentiful redemption and everlasting protection and endless defense and ceaseless forgiveness and everlasting righteousness and the gift of eternal life for us and in the new heavens and earth to come that realm that God is preparing for his people. You know, the last phrase, I will show him my salvation, should have us think of when Jesus also arose from the dead. He died for our offenses. He was raised for our justification. 
And what are we told he did after he rose? The, the Gospels tell us he made quite a number of resurrection appearances, didn't he? And for what? That he might, for what purpose? That he might show his disciples his salvation. That he might remove all their fears and their anxieties and show them his salvation. And so also equip them to tell others the great good news of the gospel. And we know when they saw and believed, and especially when the Holy Spirit came upon them on Pentecost, oh, how they understood and they were compelled by the love of Jesus to go out to tell all the world, beginning in Jerusalem, even to the ends of the earth, about who God is for his people in and through Jesus Christ. I ask you, who can compare to this God of the Bible, this God of Psalm 91? And who he is for his people. And what everlasting security we have with him, regardless of our fears. Therefore, as mentioned in the beginning of the sermon, may God with this reflection on Psalm 91 mightily bless and encourage, strengthen all who truly believe here, not to be afraid, come what may, but to go forward, ever looking to Jesus relying on him, rejoicing in him, and testifying of him to others, even as the psalmist of Psalm 91 did as well. And when it's the case that you, hearing this sermon, are yet an unbeliever, won't you today seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near? For doesn't Psalm 91 reflect very much too? If you don't know this God, if he's not your refuge, you're done for. You're going to be destroyed. You're coming to destruction apart from the Lord God as our Savior and Deliverer and salvation. People will perish in their sin and be cast away in everlasting righteous punishment there to suffer forever the wrath of God for their sin. You know, today people speak so freely about hell. They use it as a swear word. Or people say, and they mean well in many cases, we've gone through hell. An 85-year-old woman who was a hostage by the Hamas and in the tunnels there, she came out as one of the first who was res rescued or, or freed from held hostage. She said, I've gone through hell and, and we, can, we can understand what she means by it, but congregation, no one goes through hell if they come to hell. When you go to hell, you stay in hell. There's only one who went through hell and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He went through hell. He suffered it all and came out again. But none of us can do that of ourselves as sinners. And if you won't trust him, you'll die in your sins and you'll be cast in hell and you'll never get out. And it's a righteous punishment for sin. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. And you know who said this most? Jesus himself who went through hell on sinners' behalf. And he forewarns us of this, that we might truly run to him while it's yet the day of grace. Why do you delay? Come to him today. Why would anyone so live and die with Psalm 91 in the Bible that you live on your own? You know, people, I know why. People think, I can handle my fears. I'm macho. I can do anything. Really? You can't stand before the devil and the sinful nature of yours and this ungodly world. It just leads you astray and will land you in hell. Except you are shielded by Jesus. Don't reject him. Or you will forever perish. And why, again, I say, would anyone so live and die with Psalm 91 in the Bible? Also to call us sincerely to the one and only Savior of sinners. While it's the day of grace. Let none here remain unbelieving. And also at the same time, it's good to say that no one here be content with just a form of religion and only half-heartedly looking to God, being more double-minded and two-faced in looking to the Lord and being religious. You know, the church is sometimes too full of such people. Lukewarm people. No, this psalm makes clear those who will know and rejoice in the rich gospel treasures and blessed security for soul and body in life and death for this life and for the life hereafter. Who are they? They are those who call on God sincerely and wholeheartedly and steadfastly 
That doesn't make them worthy. But they acknowledge, Lord, unless you help me, unless you be merciful to me, there's no safety nor salvation for me except you, except you be my Savior. And the psalm is saying, except we so dwell in the secret place of the Most High, in faith in Christ, under the shadow of the Almighty, in this way, always needing Him, and always calling out to Him, and always loving Him and pleading His mercy. That's the way of salvation. We can never trust ourselves. As another believer testified in prayer and praise to God, also based on this psalm, in Christ I every glory view of safety, strength, and beauty to beloved Savior ever be a sanctuary unto me. Is that your prayer and care? Oh, God triune, he invites us all so to trust him and to follow him. And he will show you his salvation, regardless of what sinner you have been and are of yourself. He delights to show us his salvation in all our life journey now and then forevermore in the world to come. So may the fruit of this sermon on Psalm 91 be by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit that the theme of this psalm and sermon be all our joyful comfort and happy testimony to letting one and all know also how safe and secure we are always with the Lord as our refuge. When you and I need, to rem need reminders of this, then read again this most cheering psalm again and again with its precious gospel truth declared beautifully and illustrated bountifully and confirmed beyond measure. Oh, safe, forever safe, completely safe in the arms of Jesus. Yes, in that secret place of the Most High, dwelling under the shadow of His wings. Thus says the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for Psalm 91. What a psalm. Oh, Lord, help your people to so rely on you and to and know how dependable you are and to be able to speak of it to others. With God as our refuge and strength, we do have a very present help in trouble. And never because we deserve anything, but only always for Jesus' sake. Oh, to be shielded by him, who suffered all that we deserve, that we might escape it and be forever among your people, protected and provided for here and forevermore. Lord, let no one among us continue in unbelief or in indifference or in lukewarmness, but that we flee to this Savior God and that we be amazed with your word and that we be witness to others of this 911 psalm in our world full of fears and anxieties. Oh, help your church to give this message while it's yet the day of grace and multiply it for good, we pray, to the salvation of many more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We pray for strength going on from here in the new week. Protect us, bless us in all our responsibilities. Help us to live as unto the Lord. And may it be evident in the week ahead, that we were in God's house the first day and were guided in the way we should go. Oh, so bless us, we pray, and make us a blessing. And to you be all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So to prove that my exegesis of this psalm was correct, Psalter 249 really brings it out. And I hope you see that as we sing it. It stands as one, three, four, five and six. And can we sing it to the tune of 325? Okay.
Oh.